Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So over the next few weeks, um, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of generating wisdom. And I'm, I love that little story I read uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm going to use that little story again uh, uh, because it's sort of germane to what I'm going to be talking about. And it's the story from the second book of the Tao, um, Duke Huan was reading a book at the upper end of the hall. Pien, the wheelwright, was making a wheel at the lower end of the hall. Putting his mallet and chisel down, he walked over and said, May I be so bold and to ask what your grace is reading? The words of the sages, said the duke. Are the sages still alive? No, they're long dead. Then why are you reading something which is just the dregs that they've left behind? How dare you make such a comment on what I'm reading, the Duke shouted. Explain yourself or die. Certainly, Your Grace, said the wheelwright. Here's how I see it. When I work on a wheel, if I hit the chisel too softly, it slides and won't grip. But if I hit it too hard, it gets stuck in the wood. When the stroke is neither too soft nor too hard, I know it, and my hands feel it. There's no way I can describe this place of perfect balance. No one taught it to me, and I can't teach it to my son. I'll never be able to pass it on. When the old sages died, they took their understanding with them. That's why I said that what you're reading is just the dregs that they left behind. Much, I think, of what we take for wisdom comes from books. And as it says in that passage, they are the dregs that are left behind. And even when we come to events like this, where people are giving of their own infinite wisdom, like myself, It's just what they're filtering from their minds. It's not your wisdom. I'm a firm believer that each of us is in the driving seat for our own spiritual lives. Our knowledge and wisdom does not come from following others or from reading books of long dead people, even from scripture. All those, I think, are just lenses that we're given to look at life through. We take a book or a scripture or an idea and we lift it to our eyes and we look at our life through that lens. The question is then, are we seeing life with a greater clarity or not? But the key thing is that we are doing the seeing. We're lifting up the lens given to us by others, but it is we who are looking at our lives with our own eyes. It's in the looking that the wisdom derived, not in the lens itself. And so each of us are uniquely in our own driving seat. We're flying solo with our wisdom dashboard in front of us, our gears, our pedals. We can accelerate or break in our spiritual life as and when we want. 
but no one else is doing the driving. If you think about it, it's obvious. Or should I say, if you don't think about it, it's obvious. Thinking about it makes us consider that we are one of seven billion on this planet, that there are many billions who've gone before us, and many of those are saints and sages with much more wisdom and understanding that we could possibly have. So it stands to reason that we should look to these wise ones to tell us how the world works and read their scriptures and formulate our way forward, standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us and those who in this life obviously know much more than we do. That's the conclusion of any rational person would come to if they were thinking about such things. But, you know, not thinking gives us a very different perspective. Here we are in the world, peering out, each of us here, from this body as we have done since we were first conscious of being alive. All of you here, all of you at home, all of us, we're all peering out from the body that we were given as we have done right from the beginning from when we are first conscious of being alive. There is only us in this body with our thoughts, with our feelings, with our sensibilities. And around us, there are others who seem to be in the same sorts of bodies as ourselves. I can see them all out here. But they're definitely not us. We are alone in our bodies. And we look out at others and a world that is outside us. It's up to us to navigate our way through that world, to choose who we want to be with, who we want to love, who we want to work with, who we touch, who we do not touch, what we eat, who we live with, where we go. It's all up to us. And so it's also the same with negotiating the greatest questions of life. We are in the driving seat when we ask the question, who am I? Where do I come from? Is there a God? How do I relate to everything else? On these important questions, we tend to give up to those that we think know better. But the key thing is that whoever they are, be they Jesus or Buddha or Moses or our drinking partner down the road, they're not us. They have not lived in our bodies all this time. And they don't know what we know about our lives. Because we, each of us, have a unique relationship with the universe. No one else has the relationship with the universe that you have. And that means that no one else has a relationship with God or whoever we want to call that divine source like you. So you are the one to navigate your way through the spiritual way stations that you find yourself in. Those stopping points where you think, what next? My friend Bill Hunt always refers to me as his, as his spiritual sky pilot. But what I suppose I'm really saying here is that 
we are all, including you, Bill, flying solo. And unless we take responsibility for that, we'll end up on somebody else's autopilot, flying to who knows where because of who knows what. Each of us has our own homing mechanism that will take us uniquely to where our life wants us to go. And unless we tap into our own homing mechanism, we're going to go astray. It all comes down, if you, if you look at this, where this, this, the rationale for this, it all comes down to the idea that each of us is at one with the universe, that there is a unity of consciousness, that our consciousness has been uniquely formed through an, its own special set of circumstances. And that those circumstances, our life is sent to us by the universe to enable us to make each of us our own unique contribution to the evolution of all consciousness. The game is fixed by the universe. And that pair of fives that we've been dealt, when we look at our hand and we see we've only got a pair of fives, because the game has been fixed, it is actually a winning hand if we had the confidence to play it. All of this, everything in your life is uniquely fixed for you. Even me saying this now. All your life has led you to this point. And all you have to do is to respond appropriately. That's why only you can know what to do. And only you can develop your unique wisdom to help you. And it's quite clear in the Bible, for those that like a bit of Bible. You know, it says in, in Proverbs 4, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. That word wisdom comes from the old English gewit, G-E-W-I-T, which denotes the mind as the seat of consciousness and is therefore suggesting a connection with ultimate reality. That's what wisdom is, a connection with ultimate reality. Last week I mentioned that definition of wisdom, which is knowledge informed by love. Knowledge informed by love. Wisdom is the creative power. It is one of the divine's way of working in the world. To tap into the divine's wisdom is to tap into the eternal word, the logos, the creative will that has at its center the purposes of the universe. And that wisdom has been there from the beginning of time, that urge. And it says again in Proverbs, about wisdom, the Lord brought me forth, that's wisdom, as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. So that's, there's a sense there that this imperative that we connect to in our own lives 
is latent in the entire universe. And it was manifest in human form, most obviously in Jesus. He was the perfect emanation of Jesus and of wisdom and activating wisdom at the seat of all creation. In the Old Testament, wisdom is feminine, Sophia. Wisdom mediates between the divine and the world. She is the revelation of the divine in the world. And it's interesting that in the story of Jesus, wisdom is always stressed. Uh, in that, you know, reading it says, when Luke and Mary had done everything required by the Lord, they returned to Galilee, and he was filled with wisdom, it says. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and many. It always talks about the wisdom there. And you know, in that reading of Simeon and Anna, they knew that something was guiding them. Both Simeon and Anna knew that something was guiding them to wait in the temple. You know, those around Simeon and Anna must have thought they were mad. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. They had been told something in their wisdom, in their particular unique relationship with their life and with, it, with, with the world and with God. They'd been told that if they waited there, they would see the salvation. And it came about. Of Simeon, it says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. He knew that in himself. And Anna was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years, seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She was waiting. Both of them had the wisdom to stay in the temple and to wait. They knew uniquely outside of books, outside of sermons, outside of conferences or retreats, or scripture, nothing to tell them but the unique wisdom in their own lives. And it's the same with every one of us. It holds true for us in our lives. We have that wisdom available to us if we can but link into it. That's the pair of fives that we've got to play. And our role in life is to connect to the divine within so that we can respond to circumstances that come our way in love, and so play our part in the transformation of consciousness. In every situation, we have an opportunity to choose between reacting from our minds or connecting with that wisdom and realizing that love in our lives. It's not something you can find in books. It's not something that someone else can tell you. It comes from a direct connection with the source of all being that we're a part of. And that is the way of finding wisdom. It's each of us to find that direct connection within us. To fly solo is to recognize that we have everything we need to live our lives in a loving way if we're willing to commit to it. And often that commitment will lead to fear. We think, my mind tells me that I should do this to avoid a sack of circumstances coming my way. But my heart tells me another thing. We fear that our hearts will not help us survive in the best possible way. But funnily enough, if you again look in the Bible, it deals with it head on. Right the way through the Bible, it says 
that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have to confront that when you're talking about wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning also, it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. That fear is the gateway to the new wisdom from the heart. Simeon and Anna entered through that gateway. They must have had the fear of being ridiculed, but their trust kept them stronger. And you look out, you have to acknowledge the fear. And in my experience, this is the moment that wisdom arrives. The wisdom that comes from not being attached to what will happen in our lives. That's what the fear is about. It's the fear of what's going to happen. And if we can get through that, then a wisdom will come about. Most of the time, it's the fear that controls us. What will happen if I lose all my money? What will happen if I lose my children, my house? We try to control our lives to avoid the circumstances we don't want. But the way to peace is not to be concerned with the outcome. The key thing is, and it says it lots of times in the Bible, not to worry. Just deal with what you have in front of you and allow the rest to come your way. You know, Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink. Look at the birds of the air, the Lord feeds them, or how much more value are you to, uh, uh, are you to him than they? It's not to say, don't try. It says, don't worry. We're in a little boat, but we're anchored through that connection with wisdom. For, as it says again, God is love. There is no fear in love. That connection with takes away that fear. Perfect love drives out fear. Because we have that wisdom and connection available to us, we have the opportunity to drive in the direction we want. Looking at those controls on the, on the dashboard, maybe we need to lean in a little into fear. I'm an inveterate watcher of old movies particularly old English movies. And I was watching last week David Lean's movie, The Sound Barrier. And if you've ever seen that, in, in The Sound Barrier, they're all in their planes. and they're, you know, they're, They've got the joystick and they're, they're trying to go faster than the speed of sound. And it's, you know, 0 0.9, 0 0.95. And, the and you know, the, the, the plane begins to shake and to judder. And for the first five times, it goes, you know, it blows up. And finally, right at the end, uh, the pilot that sort of knows, knows what he's doing, he's coming 0 0.5, 0 0.6, and he begins juddering fingers, and suddenly he realizes he has to push the stick forward. And he pushes, rather than trying to pull it back, he pushes the stick forward, and of course, the plane goes into control, breaks the sound barrier, and that's how it's supposed to have happened. But I think in our lives, what we have to do is to push the stick forward a bit, to enable ourselves to go into that fear because behind that fear is the wisdom that will enable us to know how to negotiate our lives. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, uh, look at a little bit about this. And I, I just think it's so important that we start to be able to generate our own wisdom, that we don't think we have to go and, you know, to some lecture or talk or whatever it is, but it's within us, each of us, the knowledge of how to go forward. There we are. I'm off my notes now. A hey, sound barrier. Very good, David Lean. So let's uh, just uh, pray a little bit now. 
Do you know, when you start thinking about, we think of wisdom as being, you know, intelligent stuff and, you know, but really that connection, that wisdom connection, is there in music? You know, music is actually wisdom. It is a connection with the divine and we, we hear the, the interpretation of that divine in wisdom. And, and you can see it in painting, you can see it when people have allowed that to come through, that that's idea of a... Uh, of each of us having our own connection with that special motivating force. And, you know, I was looking at uh, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet uh, the other day, and I didn't expect to find something related to this topic, but when you look at what Khalil Gibran says about teaching, he actually speaks about this self-generating, this idea that we're all flying solo. This is what he says about teaching. He says, no man can reveal to you aught but that which already lies half asleep in the dawning of your knowledge. The teacher who walks in the shadow of the temple among his followers gives not of his wisdom, but rather of his faith and his lovingness. If he is indeed wise, He does not bid you enter the house of his wisdom, but rather leads you to the threshold of your own mind. The astronomer may speak to you of his understanding of space, but he cannot give you his understanding. The musician may sing to you of the rhythm which is in all space, but he cannot give you the ear which arrests the rhythm nor the voice that echoes it. And he who is versed in the science of numbers can tell of the regions of weights and of measures, but he cannot conduct you thither. For the vision of one man lends not its wings to another man. And even as each one of you stands alone in God's knowledge, so much each one of you be alone in his knowledge of God and in his understanding of the earth. I like that. It just, boom, says it. And over this next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. How do I develop myself, my own connection with wisdom, and how do I move it forward? Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.